You're listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. At Southwide Baptist Church, our mission is to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby lead people to worship God authentically, connect in biblical community, grow in Christian maturity, and multiply disciples and churches both locally and globally. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message. If you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3. And we will walk through uh, this chapter together this morning. Uh, while you're turning there, let me just say that you may have a little bit of a hard time seeing uh, to find Joshua chapter 3. Um, and I want to just tell you that, uh, that above your heads is kind of an experiment. Um, we are, we are, uh, have been blessed with, um, the, uh, with the donation of some lights uh, to replace what we were having consistent problems with. Um, and so above your heads are the first attempt at that. Um, we do have some more lights that we're going to be adding to the mix, and so hopefully it will help. Um, and so we're just trying to, trying to cut energy costs as much as we can and, and give better lighting and uh, cut costs on trying to uh, change out bulbs and come in every week and have a bulb out. So uh, just ask for your patience with us as we do that. And uh, God has been so gracious um, that these lights have cost us absolutely nothing. So can we just thank the Lord this morning uh, for what He's done, what He's provided? Amen. Amen. God is good to us. And this is the story, really, of Joshua, of how God provided for His people. And He has continued to provide for His people since the very beginning of their, their inception and really from the very dawn of creation. God has always provided for His people. But he calls us to a specific purpose within that provision that you and I would follow after his mission in the world. And so we're looking at the book of Joshua and really unpacking the theme of a purpose with promise. A purpose with promise. So far we've seen the very beginning, kind of the battle cry for uh, the nation of Israel. And we've seen the story of Rahab. But the, the people of Israel still have yet to go into the promised land. They have not yet accomplished or picked up on what God has in fact given them. And we, we begin to see kind of the very early stages of this in Joshua chapter 3. Kind of the advancement into the kingdom. And I, I find in Joshua chapter 3 really this purpose and promise coming together with such clarity, um, perhaps more than the other two chapters at the beginning. This is the very beginning of the story of receiving this promise. And so I want to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word, if you found your place there in Joshua chapter 3, and we'll read the chapter again together as we listen to God's Word. Joshua chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, that is the Jordan River, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. 
So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, By this you shall know that the living God is among you, and that He will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord and all of the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe, and it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of their feet, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off. The waters that come down from upstream and they shall stand as a heap. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan and the feet of the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of the harvest that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zeraton. So the waters that went down into the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, failed and were cut off. And the people crossed over opposite Jericho. Then the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Lord, I pray this morning as we begin to walk through this chapter that Your Holy Spirit would teach us, would open our eyes to see and our minds to understand and our hearts to believe the things that You show us. Lord, I pray that we would be sensitive to Your voice. And God, that we would understand Your truth and that as a result, God, we would be closer to You as believers and more faithful. Lord, that we would be more effective in the mission that You've given us. 
And then, Lord, if there is someone here this morning who does not know Christ, we pray together that just as Ashley and Kendrick gave testimony this morning of your faithfulness in their own lives and your salvation of their souls, that today would be the day of salvation. I pray, God, that that sinners would repent and trust you by faith. And we'll give you glory for all that you do here in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you. You can be seated. So here, here's the nation of Israel. They were there dwelling in Shittim, this place of the Acacia Grove, a place they had been to before and disobeyed the, the Lord and His commands. And now they're here and they're obeying the Lord. And God has given a direct mission to them. The, the mission is to go into the promised land and to receive this, this land of promise, the thing that God had given And all they had to do was walk into the land and obey what God had given them to do. And so this is really the inauguration of that command. They come to the Jordan River, a place that was similar to where they had been before in the past. At least their ancestors remember that they came to the Red Sea whenever they left Egypt. And the Red Sea made things seem impossible. And they come to that Red Sea and God parts the sea with Moses' staff. And the sea is parted and they walk across on dry land. And of course, all of the armies of Egypt were destroyed, totally obliterated. So they had been here before. They knew what it meant to stand before a physically impossible situation and for God to act and to respond and to do for them what they could not do on their own. And I want you to just hear me as a side note this morning, that all of us come to the place of impossibilities in our life. We all come to the place where we don't know what to do. Amen? We all come to the place that we don't know what the answers are. But we serve a God who is able to do the absolutely impossible. And He proves it again and again and again throughout His Word. And Joshua 3 is one of those times. When they're standing before the the river there, the Jordan River, and they must cross. And this time, instead of stretching out a staff across the water, the priests carry the Ark of the Covenant out into the sea and it splits and it, it, it spreads apart. But I ask this question much like I asked the question last week. Not why a scarlet cord, but this week, what is the Ark of the Covenant? What in the world is it teaching us about who God is and what He is doing in the lives of His people? Last week, it was rather implicit. We had to read the story and kind of determine what God was trying to say to us. But this week, and significantly so, I think God has made it absolutely explicit what He is teaching His people. There is no room for questions in the text. And if you just simply read carefully, it's almost as if all of the chapter is climaxing to this one moment when the priests step out into the water and the waters split. What is he teaching us? You just kind of read through the story. There is a preparation that is happening in the first four to five verses, six verses. This preparation that is happening uh, among the Israelites. Joshua is telling them what to do. He's, He's rising early and making these preparations. And then we kind of pick back up in verse seven. And the Lord said to Joshua, so we get the instructions it's not happening necessarily in order. This is, this is God saying to Joshua, and we, we understand now why He's making the preparations. 
But that verses 7 through 8, and the Lord said to Joshua, notice in verse 9, so Joshua said. The, the, the writer of Joshua is trying to lay some groundwork saying to us that the Lord has said this, and so Joshua now must say that to the people. The Lord said to Joshua, so Joshua said. So in verse, uh, verse number 9, he says, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And one of the strongest statements we have in all of this book, notice it there in verse 10. And Joshua said, By this, he wants them to know something, you shall know that the living God is among you. You might underline two things in your Bibles. The living God is among you. That's the first thing that he says. And he will, without fail, drive out. We could summarize all of those people into your enemies before you. Those are the two things he wants the people of Israel to know. Know that the Lord your God is with you. The living God is among you and that He will without fail. That is an emphatic kind of a translation. He will without fail accomplish exactly what He promised. Does not sound like Joshua chapter 1, right? Know this, that the Lord, be strong and courageous that the Lord your God is with you wherever you go and that He will give you the land that was promised to your fathers. This is the same promise repeated. But He is emphasizing again something that we only picked up a little bit on in chapter 1. And that is the fact that God would be with Joshua. This isn't the only place that He says it. Back up with me to verse 7. This day... I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. God wants Joshua to communicate to the people and therefore He wants the people to know that He is absolutely with them and that He will do exactly what He said He would do. Now what about the Ark of the Covenant? Let's keep reading. Verse, verse number, back in verse number 10, He will without fail drive out all of these people from before you. And verse 11, by, actually you're going to have to back up to the, begin, the middle of verse 10. He says, by this, well what is the this? Verse 11 tells us, Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into the Jordan. The Ark of the Covenant, by the way, mentioned again as we just began the chapter in verse 3. The Ark of the Covenant. Ark of the Covenant was a golden chest. Chest that Moses was commanded back in Exodus to build. In fact, he was given explicit instructions in chapter 25, chapter 35. Those instructions were repeated. They were to build this Ark and it was to be exactly as the Lord commanded it to be built. And we could go through all of the different signs and symbols that are on the ark, but what I want you to notice about the ark of the covenant is that it contained two things. It was, it was to symbolize essentially two things. Number one, it was to symbolize the promise of God. It contained the, the, the very tablets of stone that God had written the law on, this covenant that God had made with the people of Israel. And secondly, it symbolized, symbolized the presence of God, His rule and reign among His people. His presence being at the very top, this picture of between the two cherubim of God's presence dwelling there. 
And as you know, the story of the tabernacle where God's glory dwelled, this Ark of the Covenant would go into the very holiest place and it would be the the very representation of God's presence among His people. So much so that His presence being holy, if anyone were to touch the Ark of the Covenant, they would immediately die because we are a sinful people. And so God's presence symbolized and His promise. And what what Joshua says to the people from the Lord God, he says, God is with you and He's going to complete His promises. And that ark that was given to you back at the Exodus, that ark is going to be the sign to you that God will do exactly what He said He will do. And so this is Joshua's message. Not only with the people of Israel, but for us. God is with us for the accomplishment of His mission. God is with us, with us, with us. We are never alone. And He has given us a mission and has accompanied that, miss, that mission such that the mission will never fail because God's going to do it. You see that? He is with us and He is accomplishing His mission through us. His presence is specifically here that we might accomplish His mission. And that should sound all too familiar to you if you've grown up in church at all. Because it is a promise that is repeated not only in the Old Testament multiple times, but also into the New Testament. Does it not sound like Matthew 28, 19 and 20? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have I have taught you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. You see, we have a mission. In the same way that the presence of God was with the people of Israel to accomplish the mission, which was, by the way, not just the land. Remember, that is anticipating another land. It was not just that people. Remember, it's anticipating the Gentiles. God has a great mission that began at the very beginning of history and will not complete until the end of history. And you and I, as now a part of Israel, get the opportunity to be a part of that mission. And God has promised we are not alone in that mission. Now, He doesn't give us an ark, although the ark represents all of these things for us. It's symbolic of God's presence among us, and that is the biggest picture, and His promise to us. We have been sealed with the promise of God. It's called the Holy Spirit. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a sign. You could read the the book of Joshua in this way. Know this, or even buy this, Southwide. You will know that the living God is among you and that He will give you or accomplish all that He has, has desired and promised to accomplish through you. And you will know that that is true because the Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit is given in your hearts, bearing witness that we're children of God. And we're experiencing the Holy Spirit even now this morning. For those who are obeying Christ in baptism, this is an obedience that doesn't come about just simply by happenstance. It comes about by the prompting, the the moving of the Holy Spirit in hearts. We sing about the Holy Spirit being here. We're asking God's very presence to dwell here in a unique way. Now hear me. 
If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, the Holy Spirit has already taken up residence in your life. You have the Holy Spirit of God with you. The promise was given in John 14, John 16, and so on. And we have that within us. If you trusted Christ, God is with you. But there is also a unique way in which God dwells among His people for the sake of accomplishing His mission. When the Jordan seems like it's impossible to cross, God is with us. Whenever metaphorical kinds of Jordans are before us, like lights, we don't know how we're going to change out the lights because we don't have enough money to change the lights. Or when the people around us were trying to share the gospel and it just seems like nobody around us is coming to faith in Christ. Whenever we, we don't know how we're going to pay our own bills, much less give a tithe to the Lord. Whenever we, we just don't know what our personal sense of purpose is in the world and we're kind of lost and it just seems impossible, God is with us even in those moments to accomplish the impossible. Amen? Or what about whenever we have sin in our own lives or the people around us? When sin begins to ensnare us and we fall prey to those temptations that are just so strong, God is with us in those moments. Or what about when direction eludes us? When we don't know where to turn. We don't know the way forward. The Holy Spirit is with us. I think specifically about the accomplishment of our vision and some of you go, I don't even know entirely what that looks like. And the truth is, we don't, all of us know entirely what it looks like. I don't even know entirely what God's going to do through our vision. But this is it. That we would worship the Lord our God with all of our hearts. That we would connect with one another. That relationships would form within biblical community and outside of this community of faith as we reach out to our community around us that we would begin to grow in our faith and that we would grow into the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ, that, that we would look like Jesus and that we would take that whole thing and multiply it to the ends of the world. Listen to me. These being the purposes of the Bible, God has promised His presence to be with us in order to accomplish these things. So God is with us. We are never alone. The question becomes, based on this passage of Scripture, what exactly is the presence of God doing among us? What is He accomplishing by being with us? His presence, listen to me carefully, His presence among His people is not passive. He is not just kind of hanging out to see what happens next. Our God is sovereign and active, not only among His people, but in all of His creation. Amen? So God's doing something by being here with us. To say just simply, I cling to the promise that God is with me, but nothing's happening in your life, is to miss the point of God's presence. God is actively working in your life. So what is it that He is doing? Well, through Josh, the story of Joshua, we see three ways that God is active here in this text. Some things that God is doing on our behalf, in us, and through us. And the first one is that His presence leads us. His presence leads us. If we are to know 
where we are to go in life, what we are to do with our lives, our purpose, the whole point of us being here. If we're to know as a church what direction we ought to head, if we're to know in our career, if we're to know who to marry, if we're to know what classes to take in school, if we're, if we're to know any of those things, we must depend upon the presence of God to lead us in our lives. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is what the Holy Spirit is doing for us. You can read the New Testament and know that Jesus said that the Comforter would come and He's going to lead us into all truth. So if you want to know what direction to go in your life, what is true, what is right, you've got to follow the presence of God. So notice it here in the text. Joshua says, the first time he says it is in verse 3, or verse 2 rather, no, verse 3, he says, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priest bearing it, then he says, here's what you're to do. When you see the ark, it's going to go out before you. When you see it, set out from your place and go after it. Now, that's pretty simple, isn't it? Israel says, well, where do we go? How do we get into the promised land? How is it that you want us to do what you want us to do? Well, he says, the very symbol and substance of my presence is going to be out before you. Not behind you, not beside you. He's going to lead the way. So in other words, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't, don't trust your own understanding of things. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He, the one who's out before you, is going to direct your path, Joshua says. He's going to direct you. It's going to show you exactly where you need to go. He goes on to say the same thing. Verse 6, he says, tells the priests, take the Ark of the Covenant, cross over before the people. And then it says that they took the Ark and went before the people at the end of verse 6. Then at the end of the, end of the chapter, verse four, chapter uh, same chapter, verse 14, so it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. That was the whole point. You follow the ark and you will be going the right direction. And we need to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit of God to show us what direction we go in any area of our lives. We cannot turn to the right. We cannot turn to the left. We cannot even go for a moment without praying and depending upon the Holy Spirit to take us the way that we are supposed to go by God's will. We must do it. Joshua says some very clear things about this ark and about seeing or about the presence of God. I want you to notice these three things that he says. He first says that we've got to see it. We've got to see the ark. We've got to see clearly. The children of Israel, too distracted by the things around them, too twisted up with things that don't matter as much as God's presence, then they're not even going to see the ark. It's like we said last week, if you don't have the cord out in front of you, you don't see the cord because you're so distracted by other things. It's entirely possible that we don't even see God's presence in our lives. We need to go to God's Word and be instructed. We don't go to our feelings. We don't go to our emotions. We don't go to uh, public opinion. We don't go to politics. We don't go to any of those other things to see God's direction in our life. The place that we go to see God is right here. We depend upon this book for everything that we do and He shows us. We see God in Scripture. And then we see Him at work around us as we evaluate our lives through the lens of Scripture. So we must first see the Lord. 
then we follow the Lord. We follow the Lord. So notice he says, when you see it, then set out from your place and go after it. (laughs) That's part of the problem so much in our lives. We see what God wants from us, but we don't go after it. It is knowing, seeing what God expects, and then obeying God and what He's called us to do. And whenever you know it's God leading you to do something, you go after it with all of your heart. Listen to the counsel of others, but trust in the Holy Spirit of God to lead your life. And when you see it, when you know it, then you go after it. But notice then he says, then he says, that you may know the way by which you must go. For you've not passed this way before. (laughs) How many of you have ever been in your life and you go, huh, this is new. I've never been to this place before. I don't know what to do. Anybody? Some rest of you got it figured out. We've got to talk after church. Man. I think just about every new phase of our lives is new. Right? Just about every new phase of our lives is new. You, you can't claim to be an expert on life. You can hear from the counsel of those that have gone before you, and you should. But notice he doesn't say that you first know and then see and obey. Some of us are waiting in our lives to know what it is we're to do and then obey Him, but He's already shown it to us. So we see and we obey, and then guess what happens? As you're walking in an acknowledgement of God in your life and an obedience to God in your life, you begin to know what the way looks like. Why? Because you're walking in it. You're walking in it. Some of us are waiting for all the answers and all the pieces to fit. They don't always fit before we obey. We obey anyway. So the presence of God leads us. His presence leads us. Secondly, His presence purifies us. His presence purifies us. So notice that they're to go after it. Yet, or but... Those, uh, rather, there shall be a space between you and it. About 2,000 cubits. Now, if your math's not up to par, you can just say, that's quite a long ways. We've got to leave some, quite a bit of space between us and the Ark of the Covenant. And then he says emphatically, do not come near it. Later he says, sanctify yourselves. There has to be a distance between you and it. Why? Because the Lord your God, it doesn't say it here, but we're told that the Lord your God is holy. We are sinful. And those who come into His presence must be holy. This is why the ones that touched the Ark of the Covenant died as soon as they touched it. And why the priests have to carry it in a a unique way. Why? Because to come into the holiness of God, in the presence of God, as a sinful people is to be unworthy and to receive ultimately God's judgment. And so he says essentially two things about the people of Israel. First, he says that they must be separated, that God must be separated from the people. So he's, he's separated from them because of this distance. But then he talks about this sanctifying of themselves. This sanctifying of themselves. So it is a separation of the people. We separate ourselves unto God. That is the picture of Joshua. But there is a great difference between the book of Joshua and the New Testament. 
It is the blood of the perfect, sinless Son of the living God. And here is what this means. Hebrews tells us that because of the blood of Christ, all of those who have trusted Jesus by faith, we are not separated from God's presence, but we are ushered into God's presence. And we are done, that, that happens, we enter into His presence with boldness because of the blood of Christ. It will not be by our own merit, but it is because of the blood of Christ. So what is the Word saying to us this morning? We are not separated from God, but we must be set apart like God. We must be set apart like God. If you've trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, it means that you are to be holy even as He is holy. This is the whole, uh, the whole aim of your life, to be like Jesus, to grow into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, to be like Christ, be holy as He is holy. And God is holy, so we're set apart like Him. But then in, in this, this sanctification, this setting apart, the word literally means, we are set apart for mission. So that is his first picture. He's saying, consecrate yourselves. Why? Because tomorrow the Lord's going to do something. And you've got to be ready. You're going to go on the mission of God. You've got to be ready for that. But certainly we're not only set apart for mission, we're set apart from sin. Set apart from sin. We must be holy as God is holy. Sanctify yourselves. Something that is happening in our life every single day as we follow Christ. But at the same time, we have been sanctified, set apart. We've turned from a life of sin. Now to following Christ. That is what characterizes our lives. New life in Jesus Christ. I want to just be real with you for a moment. And I want to talk to our millennial generation. And those that are near that generation we, as a millennial generation, and I'm right there on the edge, we are all about mission. We love causes. We love whenever God calls us to go into the promised land, and so we, do, we get after it, right? We make t-shirts for it. We do Facebook posts for it. And we're, we're excited about that mission. Whenever it comes to children who've been orphaned, man, we want to we adopt, man. We want to foster children. That's a big mission on our heart. And whenever there's, this, there's these people that are hurting around us that, that just need food, we're, we want to give them some food because we're all about mission. We love, these, we, we love it. This is why whenever you did the Ice Bucket Challenge, right? The ALS big thing on, on uh, Facebook. Everybody did it because we're all about causes. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. It's alright. You can go Google it later and catch up. But at any rate, we're all about causes. Here is where we are lacking. Personal holiness. You see, we have been sanctified, set apart, not just for mission. Absolutely for mission. But we have been set apart to be holy like the presence of the One who is among us. Personal holiness and mission put together. There's a failure in every generation. If it is our generation, that is it. And church, we've got to be the kind of people that are going to be holy as He is holy. And when God is with us, when the very God of heaven is among us and we are accountable to Him and we see Him for who He is, then we stand in sheer awe of His holiness. 
His presence here purifies us. Third and quickly. Third and quickly and finally. His presence empowers us. His presence empowers us. Notice that they are to sanctify themselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Now some things you need to know about His power being displayed in our lives and one of them we have already mentioned. There is a need for personal holiness. Those two phrases are tied directly together. Sanctify the Lord your God. Sanctify yourselves. For the Lord, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. You sanctify yourself because of what's coming. You see, the, the mission that God has called us to and what God is going to do powerfully among us depends on us being holy before Him. And so we, if we're going to experience the power of God by His presence being here, then we need personal holiness. Secondly, there's a need for dependence. A need for dependence. He will do great and mighty wonders among us. And so verse 13, as soon as the soles of your feet, as soon as the soles of the feet of the priest who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters. We, we, as we just sang, need Him. We need Him. God's presence resting upon our lives. We don't have time to go here this morning, but 2 Corinthians 12, 2 Corinthians 5 this idea that we carry the, the, the treasure of God, the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in earthen vessels. Why? That the power that is on our lives would not be of us, but of God. Second Corinthians 12, the same picture. Jesus says to Paul that, that in his weakness, Christ is made strong. Why? Because the power of God rests upon his life. You see, we need the power of God resting upon us. Without him, we can do nothing. And He empowers this. He rests in the waters. And I, I almost wonder, and don't quote me here, but I almost wonder if that ark resting in the waters, in the waters, in the very thing that stops them is a reminder to, to us that we need to rest in the trials that God has given us and depend fully upon His presence to deliver us. So we need... Dependence, and then there is a need for continual remembrance. Go to the very end, and this is where we'll close. Verse 17, Then the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel crossed over on dry ground. Until all the people cross completely over the Jordan. That language is so critical. The reminder of dry ground is a reminder to them, Israel, you've been here before. We're going to get into chapter 4 next week and see this memorial of stones that we are needing to remind us of what God has done in our present so that when we get into the future, we can look to the past and say, God did something there. And I want to just be real with you this morning as we draw this to a close. I just believe some of you have forgotten that there was some dry ground 
in your past, in the past of our church, that God so graciously allowed us to walk over. And you've forgotten to the point that some of you don't believe. You say you do, but some of you don't believe that God can do it again. And I want to call you to believe with me this morning. I want to call you to believe that if we will... if we will rely on the presence of God in our lives, that God would do a work here that will absolutely, and I'll just put it in modern terms, absolutely blow your mind. In the words of Ephesians, higher than we could ever think or imagine. Greater things. It's possible that God will do for us for the sake of His glory if we'll simply trust in His presence, to be holy as He is holy, and to rely fully upon Him to lead us in the direction we're to go. But that's where it begins. When you see the ark of the Lord, go after it. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to call you this morning to come after it. Our musicians are going to come and play. I'm going to sing that song that we sang a few moments ago. Lord, I need You. And that is the prayer of our hearts this morning. That we simply need God. We need His presence here. We need His presence in our lives. And so wherever you are this morning, I don't know where God has brought you to lately. What you've been dealing with. What you've been wrestling with. Where you've been lost. Some of you this morning just lost altogether. You don't know Christ. You've not been following the Lord's leadership in your life. And today, you need to repent and receive the promise of the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ. Today, eternal life in heaven awaits. But you must trust in Christ. He is the only way. And so this morning, you need to come and repent of your sins and say, Pastor, today I want to trust in Jesus. Others of you across this room, you just need to come and pray and ask God's Spirit and His presence to be, to be dwelling and filling us up here in our church. Some of you need the Lord's direction specifically in your life in one area or another. And maybe you just want to pray with somebody here. Turn to someone who has been an influence over your life and say, would you pray with me? I just need God's direction in my life. Whatever the case is, He leads us and we need Him. So all across the room, I invite you to stand with me. And Now is the time to begin to respond, to come to this altar. Come and say, Lord, I need You. Come to this altar and say, Pastor, I want to be saved today. And so I'm going to pray and You come. Lord, have Your way in this place. We need You today. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.